0: Thank you, choir, for that uh, wonderful rendition and for inviting the Spirit. Thank you all for joining us today. We know you all had other things to do. We pray that God will bless you for your sacrifice. I thank you on behalf of the Lord and his church for your faith and faithfulness.
1: It's great to be here and the choir was marvelous, contributed to the spirit of the meeting. We appreciate it so much. We're grateful for the others who are seated on the podium and recognize all that they have done in our lives and the role they play in yours as well. We admire their example of discipleship. We feel prompted to discuss a topic that has been on our minds for many months, faith and doubt. Last year in June, we shared a parable in the annual training broadcast for instructors in seminaries and institutes of religion. As we begin, we want to share the same parable with you.
0: Imagine having capsized in a boat while sailing in the ocean. You're wearing a life preserver and have been swimming for hours toward what you believe is the nearest shore, but you can't be sure. You've become extremely dehydrated, so every time you start swimming— you become lightheaded and fatigued. By your best estimates, the shore is 30 kilometers or 18 miles away. You fear for your life because you can't swim that far. In the distance, you hear a small engine. The sound seems to be coming toward you. Your hope of rescue soars. As you look, you see a small fishing boat approaching.
1: Oh, thank heaven, do you think. The captain sees me. The boat stops and the kindly, weather-beaten fisherman helps you on board. Gratefully, you crawl to a seat in the boat, breathing a sigh of relief. The fisherman gives you a canteen of water and some soda crackers. You consume them greedily. The water and soda crackers provide enough nourishment for you to recover. You're so relieved and happy you are on your way home. As you begin to revive and start feeling better, you begin to pay attention to some things you hadn't really noticed before. The water from the canteen is a bit stale and not what you would have preferred, like Evian or Perrier. The crackers tasted good, but what you really wanted was some delicatessen meat, followed by a chocolate croissant you also notice that the fisherman wears worn boots and blue jeans. The sweatband on his hat is stained, and he seems to be hard of hearing.
0: You note that the boat is well used and that they're dense in the right side of the bow. Some of the paint is chipped and peeling. You see that when the fisherman relaxes his grip on the rudder, the boat pulls to the right. You begin to worry that this boat and this captain cannot provide you the rescue you need. You ask the fisherman about the dents and the rudder. He says he hasn't worried about those things because he's steered the boat to and from the fishing grounds over the same route day in and day out for decades. The boat has always gotten him safely and reliably where he wanted to go. You're stunned. How could he not worry about the dents and the steering? And why could the nourishment not have been more to your liking? The more you focus on the boat and the fisherman, the more concerned you become. You question your decision to get on board in the first place. Your anxiety begins to grow. Finally, you demand that the fishermen stop the boat and let you back in the water. Even though you're still more than 20 kilometers or 12 miles away from shore, you can't stand the idea of being in the boat. With sadness, the fisherman stops the boat and helps you back in the ocean. (laughs) You're on your own again.
1: Well, consider this story as a parable in which the boat represents the church and the fisherman represents those who serve in the church. The sole purpose of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is to help Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ in their work to bring to pass the eternal life of God's children. It provides the covenant path, the way to return to our Heavenly Father. Those who serve in the church, though not perfect, are essential to help and encourage us along the covenant path. What do the boat and the fishermen teach us about the church? Do dents and peeling paint on the church change its ability to provide the authorized saving and exalting ordinances to help us become like our Heavenly Father? If the fisherman must hold on to the rudder with both hands to keep the boat on course, does that negate his and the boat's ability to get us safely and reliably where we want to go? You do not have to be an ordained seer like my husband to know that slipping back into the water instead of staying in the boat is risky. Yet, when we lose sight of the big picture, the small dance and peeling paint paint can loom large in our minds. Every member needs his or her own witness of the truthfulness of the restored church. Without a true conversion, including a mighty change of heart, you may begin to focus on the metaphorical soda crackers and chip paint. President Russell M. Nelson in April Conference 2018 said, you don't have to wonder about what is true. You do not have to wonder who you are you can safely trust. Through personal revelation, you can receive your own witness that the Book of Mormon is the Word of God, that Joseph Smith is a prophet, and that this is the Lord's Church. Regardless of what others may say or do, no one can ever take away a witness born to your heart and mind about what is true. This witness is more crucial now than it has ever been.
0: The beginning of my testimony occurred when I lived in Jotabor, Sweden. I was 11 years old. The mission president issued an invitation to all young people to read the Book of Mormon. I accepted that challenge and started to read. Somewhere in my reading, one of the mission president's counselors told us we should pray about what we read. I remember very well the evening I acted on that invitation. I knelt at the bedside and began a very simple prayer to know whether the Book of Mormon is true. I didn't hear a voice, but it was as if God told me, I've been telling you all along that it's true. That experience changed me. It changed my life. It began a process of belief, a process of being on the covenant path, and trying to do more, and trying to do better. It was in Yotibori that I learned how to repent. It was in Yotubori that I came to a knowledge of my Redeemer. It was in Yotubori that I began looking up to individuals who magnified their callings and who worked hard to build up the kingdom of God. Yotibori became my Waters of Mormon.
1: Where did you come to a knowledge of your Redeemer? How did you feel? If you have forgotten, we urge you to do something to recapture the feeling. This knowledge and these feelings are the beginnings of faith. Faith is a choice that each person must make. Faith is not just whimsically wanting something to be true and fancifully convincing yourself it is. Faith is the assurance of the existence of things that we haven't seen in the flesh. Faith is also a principle of action. Faith must be centered in Jesus Christ for it to lead a person to salvation. Faith is kindled by hearing the gospel taught by authorized teachers sent by God. Miracles do not produce faith, but strong faith is developed by obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, faith comes by righteousness. Faith does not come from demanding signs from God but by obeying and following his commandments.
0: God wants us to have faith so that he can bless us. Faith is the key that unlocks God's mercy. A person needs to decide that he or she wants to have faith and then act in faith before faith can grow. Alma taught, But behold, if he will awake and arouse your faculties, even to an experiment upon my words, and exercise a particle of faith. Yea, even if ye can no more than desire to believe, let this desire work in you, even until you believe in a manner that ye can give place for a portion of my words. For faith to grow, one must choose to have faith, and then act on it.
1: One's desire for faith must result in action. In many ways, we express our faith with our feet. This principle is stated in the Book of Mormon Promise that my husband followed as an 11-year-old. And when ye shall have received these things, I would exhort you that you would ask God, the Eternal Father in the name of Christ, if these things are not true. And if ye shall ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, he will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost." When you start with the question, could these things not be true? It leads to a beginning of faith that, if nurtured, grows. Could these things not be true is a question that presumes that it's true. For instance, if I say, aren't we going to drive from Honolulu to the North Shore? It presumes we're going to drive. The question urged by Moroni that we ask concerning the Book of Mormon is one motivated by faith and therefore leads to more faith. If we instead start with the question, couldn't these things not be false, it leads to doubt. And doubt never leads to faith.
0: On one occasion, while attending a stake conference, a stake president asked me to visit with a man whom I'll call Stephen. Stephen had been a faithful member of the church. He'd served a mission and had married in the temple. He'd served faithfully for many years but began to have doubts about the church. As I visited with Stephen, he said that he had concerns about the fact that Joseph Smith related four versions of the first vision. He thought this might mean that Joseph Smith made up his experience. I put Stephen in contact with a man who had researched these four versions decades earlier. Stephen visited with the researcher. The next time I spoke with Stephen, I said, so how do you feel about the first vision? He said, well, I feel okay about that because my questions have been answered. That no longer bothers me. But now I'm really concerned about the polygamy that was practiced in Nauvoo and after the manifesto in 1890. That's really troubling me. I asked Stephen to visit with someone who had researched these topics in reliable primary sources. After that discussion, I contacted Stephen and asked how he was doing. He said, well, that doesn't bother me anymore. I understand what happened, and my concerns have been resolved. But now I'm really concerned that the priesthood was withheld for a time from those of African descent.
1: Sadly, Stephen had chosen to be a perpetual doubter. For him, doubting pleased him more than knowing, and he was digging up in doubt what he had planted in faith. As time went on, as one concern was resolved, another one was found. No matter how, many, how much anyone tried to respond and answer these questions, he found another topic on which he was anxious. He focused on the dents in the boat instead of on the capability of the boat to lead him to the blessings of the atonement of Jesus Christ. What Stephen was doing is a form of church history whack-a-mole You know, the children's game where a mole pops up from a board and as soon as you hit it, another mole pops up in its place. (laughs) While further intellectual information may temporarily resolve an intellectual concern, further information is not the complete solution because as Paul wrote to the Corinthians... But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Faith in Jesus Christ and a witness born of the Spirit are also needed. Many who have have questions, who have already doubt in their mind, have difficulty finding their spiritual footing. They have nonetheless stayed faithful and have remained on the covenant path. Often, as they have prayed, they have received the answer Elder Neil L. Anderson received decades ago when he wondered whether he was adequately pre- prepared to enter the mission field. As he prayed, the feeling came, you don't know everything, but you know enough. At times, in fact, often, the Lord's answer will be, you know enough to stay on the covenant path and keep my commandments. When Nephi was asked if he knew what the condescension of God was, he said, I know that God loveth his children. Nevertheless, I do not know the meaning of all things. He knew enough. In this life, we will never know the meaning of all things, but we know enough. Our destinies depend on exercising embryonic faith that will grow as we act in faith.
0: Doubt is not and will never be the precursor of faith, any more than light depends on darkness for its creation. Peter wasn't told as he was slipping into the water after having tried to walk on it, Oh, Peter, if only you had more doubt. No, he was told, Oh, thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? In the lectures on faith, the difference between faith and doubt are explained. Where doubt and uncertainty are, faith is not, nor can it be. For doubt and faith do not exist in the same person at the same time. Persons whose minds are under doubts and fears cannot have unshaken confidence. And where unshaken confidence is not, their faith is weak. And where faith is weak, the persons will not be able to contend against all the opposition, tribulations, and afflictions which they will have to encounter in order to be heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. And they will grow weary in their minds, and the adversary will have power over them and destroy them. This is what happened to Stephen. He let doubt and uncertainty occupy his mind. As time went on, he didn't have the strength to confront the challenges that one faces as a member of the church. He grew weary in his mind, and his faith disappeared.
1: To have questions about the church and its doctrine is normal and the root of gospel learning. Joseph Smith understood that when he read, If any of you lack wisdom, let let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But the passage continues, but let him ask in faith nothing wavering. In other words, ask God, not doubting, that he can give you an answer. The passage continues, for he that wavereth, or doubts, is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive Anything of the Lord. A double minded man is unstable in all his ways. To receive the kind of answer that Joseph Smith sought, to receive the kind of answer we crave, we need to approach God with a believing heart and a mind desiring that the things of God will become known to us.
0: We love a statement made by Elder John A. Witzel, an apostle earlier in this dispensation that further explains doubt. And I'll paraphrase what he said. Doubt, unless changed into inquiry from a reliable, trustworthy sources, has no value or worth. A stagnant doubter, one content with himself, unwilling to make the appropriate effort to pay the price of divine discovery, inevitably reaches unbelief and darkness, His doubts grow like poisonous mushrooms in the dim shadows of his mental and spiritual chambers. At last, blind like the mole in his burrow, he usually substitutes ridicule for reason, indolence for labor, labor and becomes a lazy scholar. Doubt is not wrong unless it becomes an end in and of itself. That doubt which feeds and grows upon itself and breeds more doubt is evil. Elder Widtsoe's words are still true. Stagnant doubt does not lead to knowing the reality of the Savior Jesus Christ and his atonement. It doesn't lead to knowing that we have a kind, loving Heavenly Father who instituted the great plan of salvation. We can come to know the truthfulness of this latter-day work. But it requires that we choose faith, not doubt, and that we go to reliable, trustworthy sources for our answers.
1: Alma spoke about this principle as well. He said, And therefore, he that will harden his heart, the same receiveth the lesser portion of the word. And he that will not harden his heart, to him is given the greater portion of the word, until it's given unto him to know the mysteries of God, until he know them in full. And they that will harden their hearts, to them is given the lesser portion of the word until they know nothing concerning its mysteries. And then they are taken captive by the devil and led by his will down to destruction. So would you seek financial advice from someone who is broke and in debt? Would
0: you ask for medical advice from a charlatan snake oil salesman?
1: Who would you take some advice from on, your, on how to improve your forehand in tennis? A weekend hack or Roger Federer?
0: So why would you entrust your eternal welfare to those who are spiritually bankrupt because they have ripped up in doubt what they once planted in faith or who, as Jeremiah said, have forsaken Christ, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. These individuals have walked away from that fountain of living waters and want you to trust in something that doesn't hold water.
1: Brothers and sisters, you can know that there is a living Christ. The blogosphere cannot replace scripture study and reading the words of living apostles and prophets. Foster your faith by going to trustworthy sources to find answers to your question.
0: When we try to determine whether something is true or not, the prophet Mormon gives us a pattern to follow. Wherefore, all things which are good cometh of God, and that which is evil cometh of the devil. But behold, that which is of God inviteth and enticeth to do good continually. Wherefore, everything which inviteth and enticeth to do good and to love God and to serve him is inspired of God. It is given unto you to know and to judge, that ye may know good from evil, and the way to judge is as plain, that ye may know with a perfect knowledge as the daylight is from the dark night. For behold, the Spirit of Christ is given to every man that he may know good from evil. Wherefore, I show unto you a way to judge. For everything which inviteth to do good and to persuade to believe in Christ is sent forth by the power and gift of Christ. Wherefore, you may know with a perfect knowledge it is of God. But whatsoever thing persuadeth men to do evil and believe not in Christ and deny him, and serve not God, then ye may know with a perfect knowledge it is of the devil. So it's simple. If a choice leads you to do good and believe in Christ, it's from God. If the choice entices you to do evil and deny Christ, it's of the devil. As you get on the covenant path, you can know that those things that distract you from that path that persuade you not to believe in Christ are wrong. Those things that persuade you to believe in God, to love him, and to keep his commandments are from God. You will miss spiritually important events if you choose persistent doubt fueled by answers from faithless and unfaithful sources.
1: Returning to our parable, those who choose to stay on the well-used dented boat with the chip paint... And those who recognize that the boat saved them from drowning and can get them safe, are those, they'll save them and get them safely to shore. In other words, they get on the covenant path and stay on the covenant path. Then, as they endure to the end, the promise of eternal life is extended. This is the greatest gift that God can give. It's through this process that we come to know Jesus Christ To know of his living reality and to know of his love and compassion. The doctrine and covenant says to some it's given by the Holy Ghost to know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he was crucified for the sins of the world. To others it's given to believe on their words that they also might have eternal life if they continue faithfully. Notice that the reward is the same whether you know or believe eternal life to the faithful.
0: In April 2009, I was sustained as a general authority in the church. In October 2009, I was asked to speak at general conference. I was anxious that my father would be able to listen to conference. He'd worked hard as a carpenter and builder his entire life, and at age 92, had severe issues with his back. He was unable to come to the conference center So, one of my sisters made sure that he could watch the session on TV at his home in Salt Lake City. After the conference, I went to his home to see what he thought of my talk. He was a man of very few words, and not liberal with compliments. I said, Dad, did you see conference? He said, yaw. I said, Dad, did you hear my talk? He said, yaw. Yaw. I said, Well, Dad, what'd you think? And he said, Oh, it was all right. I was almost proud. <laughs> but then I learned that he was distracted that evening because he desperately wanted to share with me a dream he'd had the night before. He wasn't a dreamer, he never had fanciful thoughts. I never knew him to tell a lie. He had always been brutally and tactlessly honest. He said, I dreamed that I died and saw the Savior, Jesus Christ. He took me in his arms and said that my sins were forgiven. And Dale, it felt so good. That was all he said and I was constrained from asking anything further. He died two months later when Ruth and I were in Madagascar. My dad, after joining the Church in Larsmo, Finland, at age 24, lived his life in accordance with the light and knowledge he would received. He did all that he was ever asked to do. He became one who qualified for that gift of the Spirit to know that Jesus is the Christ— and was crucified for the sins of the world and for his sins. Qualifying for this gift is not gender-dependent and it's not priesthood office-dependent. It's the promised reward for choosing faith and choosing the covenant path.
1: So how can we develop faith and keep it strong? Well, it takes some work. Have you ever been in a math class, let's say calculus, and watch the professor work a problem? Does his or her knowledge automatically transfer to you because you watch the professor find the answer? Sadly, no. To acquire the knowledge, the same knowledge the professor has, you need to work the calculus problems on your own. You need to study. Work all the practice problems until you are comfortable with the process, the equations, all the symbols. In a similar way, finding faith and strengthening faith takes work. We may be inspired by someone who has great faith, but another's faith is not transferable to us in the process. We must do our own studying from the scriptures and the words of the living prophets. We must pray, really work communicating with Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus Christ. It's essential to worthily partake of the sacrament each week And remember how merciful God has been to each of us to give his Son to atone for our sins. These personal, private acts of devotion build and maintain faith.
0: The first responsibility I had as a member of the Quorum of the Twelve was to go and tell the Church History Department that I'd be replacing Elder Jeffrey R. Holland as one of the advisors to their department. As you can imagine, there was weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth (laughs) as they learned that one of their beloved advisors would be replaced. An acute Kleenex shortage developed. As part of my assignment as an advisor to the Church History Department, I've read all the volumes of the Joseph Smith papers. I've also read the first volume and the first portion of the second volume of the new narrative history, of the Church entitled Saints. Reading everything Joseph Smith ever wrote or was reported to have said has simply strengthened my testimony of his role as a prophet chosen of God to restore his work on earth. Joseph Smith was always true to his testimony. He was consistent. He always behaved as one who had actually seen our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ Moroni, John the Baptist, Peter, James, and John, Moses, Elias, and Elijah. He acted as one who had possessed the golden plates and translated those ancient texts by the gift and power of God. He acted as one who received revelation from Jesus Christ himself. He acted as one who had received priesthood authority and keys of the holy apostleship. I know in ways more powerful and reliable than what my five senses can detect and express, that Joseph Smith saw what he said he saw, translated the Book of Mormon by the gift and power of God, and received the priesthood with its attendant keys for the salvation of mankind. I know this to be true. I know that those keys are on earth today and that President Nelson is Joseph Smith's rightful successor on earth. What we consider dents and peeling paint on the well-used boat may turn out to be divinely sanctioned and divinely directed from an eternal perspective. The Lord has either had a hand in the dents and the peeling paint, or He uses them for His purposes— I know of myself that the Lord Jesus Christ directs his work on the earth today. His servants today know him well.
1: I'm grateful to add my testimony that I know Jesus Christ is our Savior. When we exercise faith, not doubt, in his atoning sacrifice and the fruits of his atonement, our lives are eternally blessed. I'm grateful he's restored his church today with all of the blessings available to God's children on earth.
0: Jesus Christ lives and is the Savior of the world. I testify of His compassion, love, and caring concern for all of God's children. I witness of His incomparable atoning sacrifice for you and for me. As I have come to know the Savior, I have learned of His great desire to help wounds heal and to mend broken hearts. I pray that God's richest blessings will be yours. I pray that you'll develop faith in Jesus Christ, that you doubt not but be believing. I invite you to increase your faith in Christ by studying the scriptures and the words of living prophets, praying and communicating with Heavenly Father, and conscientiously preparing for and worthily partaking of the sacrament each week. God will bless you, as you engage in these personal, private acts of devotion and serve and minister to others. In the name of Jesus Christ,
1: amen. Amen.